0: podcast the show that rips up the buy rates and tv ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles i'm your host lee carlos cunningham and this episode episode 28 will feature wcw's Starcade 1995 up against the wwfs in your house five uh the two december 1995 pay-per-views closing out the year that was before we head into 1996 Apologies um, about the short delay on this show. It turns out my WWE Network has reverted back to being absolutely shit And it's taken me about four days to watch a two-hour in your house pay-per-view because it just decides to freeze and stop and freeze and stop and tell me the applications are available at this time So it would have been out a little bit earlier, but what can you do? As it is, this is Australia Day over here in Australia, and unfortunately, having been to work for the whole day, I didn't get to spend the day uh, barbecuing and drinking beers like most of the um, Australians over here do, but I have been out and had a nice giant plate of meat and a couple of mojitos, so we're in a good mood to record. Let's get cracking with this one. Starcade is coming to us from the Nashville Municipal Auditorium and drew a crowd of 8,200. It also drew a 0.63 buy rate for 113,000-odd buyers. Buys in your house five is coming to us from Hershey Park Arena. Drew a crowd of 7,289 and a buy rate of 0.35 for 111,000 buys. So Starcade, despite going with the um, World Cup of Wrestling angle that we'll talk about on this show, outdrew the WWF at the gate and at the box office. So some interesting stats there coming into 96. And let's see if that one carries on into the new year as we go ahead. Now, before we do get down to reviewing the shows today, I've got a very special treat um, for this week's episode. Uh, a little interview I recorded with a long-time friend of the podcast, Mr. Carl Grice. Um, those of you that don't follow him on Twitter should definitely do so. Um, he would be one of, if not the most, helpful person with this podcast so far pretty much every episode that dropped where I was looking for feedback he was the first one to get in touch and offer his thoughts and some suggestions many of which I've taken him up on so he's definitely uh, knows what he's talking about when it comes to this so I hope you enjoyed the first time we've had a bit of a chat to him here on the podcast it won't be the last we're gonna get him on board for some more stuff going forward but as a little introduction to a new guest host for the show we recorded this interview
1: that I'll play for you now
2: Y'all niggas one time when I lock it down and I hit you with that That bomb shit Y'all niggas know all day we be making it drop Y'all niggas know every time we come through this Motherfucker we be always taking a ride So let me blow this bitch Y'all niggas know when we come we be making it flop The way we be making it hot and make a nigga wanna stop Get money and cash that check for me All my niggas just bust your check for me Everybody from every club bang your head Till you break your motherfucking neck for me Just let me give you a speech Shit to run your shit with. we try to We this keep bouncing up and
1: here with long-time listener and con- contributor to the podcast, Carl. How's it going, Carl? Not too
3: bad, not too bad.
1: Yourself? Oh, pretty good, thank you. Um, We're going to do a few quick questions to put on the next big pay-per-view episode, so we'll get started pretty much straight away. Um, and We're just going to start with an easy one. What year did you get into watching wrestling?
3: I was a early 90s kid. I uh, used to go around my cousins, uh, watch it on Sky. Only over the pay-per-views. Raw and that was nothing in those days, so at uh, end of the whole coaching, Royal Rumble 92 was probably my earliest memory, with Dick Flair winning the title.
1: <laughs> it's not a bad show to start on though, is it? No, no, I was, I was, I was
3: not really understanding, I was like the biggest Rick Marcel fan ever, I was always, like, <laughs> I saw Rick Marcel as, this, this is my guy, and then painfully, painfully let down, and the warlord. <laughs> The underdog heel and was always bitterly <laughs> disappointed.
1: <laughs> the warlord they could have done something with, I always thought he was well underrated. Oh, I never understood
3: it. The guy was well apart from getting crucified pinned by Bulldog 100 times, but, <laughs> but I never, never I never understood.
1: Hey that WrestleMania 7 match is a forgotten classic though.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Martel maybe not so much. though so the SummerSlam 92 match wasn't too bad with Shawn Michaels.
3: Heel versus heel though,
1: it's slightly confusing. Yeah, especially um, big big crowd like that with no one to cheer for. Now you might have already answered the second question, but we're going to ask anyway, uh, early on in your wrestling fandom would you call yourself a WWF or a WCW guy?
3: Uh, I, didn't, I didn't catch WCW till like Goldberg was just starting off and stuff like I used to get it, I used to watch it on, it used to appear on ITV TV like early 90s and I used to think oh well, what the hell was this, like Giant Gonzalez used to walk out with his tin hat, and I'd be like no no no
1: no Fair enough then uh,
3: El, G- El Gigante sorry, not Giant Gonzalez
1: uh, I think we all, we can all picture it <laughs> <laughs> I I couldn't believe when I have started going back and watching old WCW on the network that Giant Gonzalez could be worse in WCW than he was in the WWF. It
3: makes me scared to see what was like on the basketball
1: court. Oh oh my god! If if anyone has an Atlanta, did he did he make an NBA debut? I believe so. He played
3: for the Hawks.
1: Yeah. If anyone's got an Atlanta Hawks game with LJ Ganty, I want to see that and review it. that could be a good episode actually El El Gigante up against Michael Jordan or something like that yeah i don't think we'd have any trouble picking a winner though (laughs) now the episode we're on at the moment is In Your House 5 up against Starcade 1995. um have you got any memories of either of these shows?
3: obviously like In Your House 5 was obviously the slot slot pen the whole pen match which was actually quite as good it was better than it should have been (laughs) by By all accounts but then the rest of it i just mm, it's was, it was pretty dross bulldog versus brett uh, it takes me to say I, I didn't particularly like it in 92 and i didn't like it a few years later
1: either oh really but, that surprises me
3: well uh, i think it got swept off in
1: nostalgia <laughs> I, I i it is interesting watching that the um the, the slot matches started this early because there's a bit of a revisionist history with wwf isn't it that this was Part of his punishment for the um for the curtain call with the click these matches, but it actually predates that. So it is interesting going back and, and seeing the timeline on that.
3: Uh, yeah. it's, just a, it's just it just shouldn't it shouldn't have been as it had no right being as good as it was. I'm not saying it's like it's up there with that King of the Ring kind of a cell, but it was pretty good. <laughs> if,
1: uh... <laughs> I don't think you'd find too many people that have put them on the same list. <laughs> <laughs> Ha- have you got any memories at all of Starcade 95, or have you even watched it?
3: I watched it. Just, I just, I don't understand how, like, I've always we go about. like, they have the storylines, and then one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year is, oh, going to have Japan versus America. Well, not really, There there's some Canadians in there as well, but we will skirt over that.
1: It's not the first time, been, is
3: like, it? Like, it? It was like when TNA did the Battle for Glory last year and just went over to Japan get over to Japan and pop those their wrestlers against them, it's like, it's good in principle, they get their matches to be good, but it just, it made no
1: sense. Yeah, no storyline culminations, or big feuds, or blow-offs, or anything. Yeah, it'd be a bit like, um, it will be a bit like Wrestlemania being taken over by the Dusty Rhodes Tag Classic now, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, and it was just like, and then people like wrestling like, two, potentially, if, things for three matches, and it's like, why? It's just...
1: Yeah. It
3: was that
1: structure. It's a bit like Battle Bowl a few years before. i went going back and obviously with the network now, I've been watching all the WCW from the 90s that I've never watched before. And some of those early Starcades, they just ruined them. So it is probably, in my opinion, a bit of the reason why Starcade's not held up compared to a WrestleMania historically because it should have been really. Oh, that's the only the
3: thing they never noticed was Starcade. Hence, but they ruined Sting. They ruined crow's thing at so so yep. they've got four
1: and a, a beefcake main event which is probably your Wrestlemania <laughs> 9 moment <laughs> um, so this is a simple one then who do you think is going to win this episode
3: I, don't, I think to be fair WCW, even though it, it made no sense they had the better matches Eddie Guerrero's match was brilliant Chris Benoit's match was brilliant and, I, and you had to, on, on the other hand you had Marty Jannetty
1: <laughs> Big Marty Jannetty fan here. Actually, I was always waiting for that massive feud with Shawn Michaels or a Marty Jannetty heel turn. So much wasted potential. I thought
3: I liked it when he came back and he fought Angle and the invitation. Though. Yeah, did,
1: I, again me hoping for another run and he blew it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you don't yeah. learn in sure. fi- in fifteen years, I suppose you should should run out of chances.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was like, a of. on the, him and him and Razor went over yeah. Carl! And Sid and Kid were
1: the more of a tag team but yeah. Sid and Kid. Yeah, I, I, I thought that Marty123kid um, feud had some real sort of potential as well It's just story of Marty his career, isn't it? He comes back with a hot angle in the last three weeks Now, we're going into... Well, this will be the last pay-per-view episode for 1995 or chronologically the last one anyway and we're heading into 19, 1996 is there any period in particular that you're looking forward to as arriving at
3: i think now now we're getting towards like it's slowly creeping towards the end of like this what you consider like the new gen it's it's things as things that people are going to start appearing and things are going to start happening and slowly 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 and then good times happen, do you know what I mean? And yeah. Everyone, get, everyone, very soon, both companies getting a massive
1: kick up the uh, proverbial jack scene. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to 96, 97 Raw, personally. That's some gold that I've not seen yet. It
3: just we've got to sit through an absolutely terrible Royal Rumble
1: and very soon, though. <laughs> yeah, not too far away. Um, I don't know. There'll be a few more bad pay-per-views coming up in the near future, as well as a few bad films as well, so I'm bracing myself. <laughs>
3: They oh, are. They are. The, um, the uh, Hardest Stone Cold Bacon, when he was the ringmaster. You got to put up with the ringmaster for a little bit as well.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the debut of Stone Cold and Mick Foley as well as the um, early origins of the NWO, so there's a bit of good stuff coming up in there as well. Oh yeah. And since you're going to be appearing on the pay-per-view episode here with me, um, have you got a favourite song that we can close out the show with?
3: Many. Um, I was walking around today, and uh, when uh, Still Dre came on, <laughs> I, got, I got a bit of a chub on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do it to me. That's my my favourite album of all time. Oh
3: yeah, 100% that, and um, an Extinction Level Event, Buster Rhymes. I think oh.
1: that's a bit of a, uh, a hidden gem. Okay, let's get that on the show then. Easy so, done. Uh,
3: give, give, me, give me some more by Buster Rhymes.
1: I'm taking a note and i'm getting it on there so that's about it for the questions for me anything you want to say to everyone before we close out
3: uh no just i'm i'm lovegun 13 on twitter l-u-v-g-u-n-n go and follow right. him and I, um, I don't post much but i'm always up for a wrestling chat and i'm slowly creeping my way into all these uh, podcast communities by tweeting and and some and Bons, the New Book podcast, New Book
1: Rising. Favourite of mine. And not to mention introducing me to the Magic Sponge, which is a, a stroke of genius. If you're not listening to that and you're a football fan, go and listen to it right now. I'm, an, yeah,
3: I'm a huge podcast enthusiast. With being a postman, I must, I must go through three a day. And then, but then I always gets the bit where I'm stuck. I ain't got one to listen to. So if anyone wants to uh, tweet me and suggest some more, then it would be greatly appreciated.
1: I can... I can tweet you my list soon and hopefully there'll be a few on there that you haven't listened to. Um, I get through a, a fair bit of podcasts myself actually, but mine's um, either driving, which I do a fair bit of, or accompanying me playing FIFA on the PlayStation, because there's only so much of that commentary I can take, so I've got, I've got a few up my sleeve, I'll tweet you my list, and if anyone else wants to, please go and follow Carl on Twitter, and um, I will tag you when this episode comes out, probably a couple of weeks away from when we're recording, not that anyone listening will have any idea about that. And um, we'll get you some new shows to listen to, including this one. Excellent. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Carl. And um, we'll chat to you again soon. As countries across the world compete for global dominance, World Championship Wrestling has accepted the challenge from New Japan Pro Wrestling in a best-of-seven
2: battle for the World Cup of Professional Wrestling. Canadian Crickler Chris Benoit meets High Flag Church of Thunder Liger Guerrero against Otani World TV champ Johnny McMahon against Masa Saeedo the Torture Master We'll see Kahnemar against Wright The Total Package Lex Luthor faces Masa Churro World champ Savage against Tensal and Sting faces U.S. champ
1: Suzuki in an epic contest of global promotions at Star Team 1995 Amen.
0: Thanks very much for that, Carl. Um, Listening back to that interview, two things immediately spring to mind. One, we've still not quite got the um, Skype recording 100% down pat, particularly with with the sound levels. And two, when he was talking about um, his love of Buster Rhymes there, I completely forgot to mention the the time I attempted to fight him here in Brisbane, which is a true story I'll get into in a little bit more detail at a later date. Um, With that being said, the little audio you heard there is the arrival of Dusty Rhodes on the commentary team. He obviously didn't come out to that music, but I thought it was only... The apropos uh, he's joining Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan and yes we are here at Starcade 1995 For the best of seven, New Japan vs WCW World Cup of Wrestling, an epic contest of global proportions. Um, We get a little bit of a rundown from the commentary team before we start. Dusty Rhodes is in rare form here, talking about a clubber and a heine kicking. Um, At first I thought he just shared the same taste in beer as I do, but then I realised he actually said heine kicking. So he's talking about somebody going to get their booty kicked at it. Impersonations are horrible, you just have to put up with them if you listen to this But we don't have to worry about that for too long Because we get underway really early with a hot contest to start Chris Benoit up against Jushin Thunder Liger Get the fuck in If I'm going to watch some old pay-per-views for this podcast That's how I want them to start from now on and the match gets started hot and heavy too. Benoit is just vicious in this period. Um, oh, we really never really lost that, but everything he does, every little sequence encounter is vicious. Liger's hot early as well with some nice arm drags, a nice drop kick and a baseball slide. And then with Benoit on the outside, comes charging off the apron with a cannonball, which was pretty cool as well. Crowd are definitely into the action early on, although Jushin Liger is getting a bit of a mixed reaction that is, sorry had to quickly uh, break up a little bit of a disagreement between my two dogs there. He's getting a mixed reaction because he's the evil foreigner in the uh, World Cup of Wrestling uh, tournament here. Of course Benoit's Canadian but they're not letting that get in the way of a good story so we'll let that one slide by I guess. Uh, we get a kip up off, uh, kip up into a Rana by Jushin Liger which is really cool before Benoit fires back with a really nasty tilt a world backbreaker before Liger blocks a powerbomb with an arm drag which is another really cool sequence here. It's an overhead belly-to-belly. And a nice drop kick and then with Benoit on the outside goes to dive as Benoit moves He just handstand fakes out of it. So a really cool opening sequence here Dusty of course describes that incredible action as he was teetering on totter there No problem. We get back in the ring. Benoit with a nice snap suplex, then a back suplex and a really big clothesline. And Dusty's really getting on my tits here early doors. I can't lie to you. He's bugging the shit out of me. Benoit interestingly locks on a line tamer, tamer even, before Bobby Heenan asking Tony Schiavone to translate for Dusty Rhodes. So he's in the same camp as me here. Benoit hits two nice German suplexes before Liger fires back hitting a surfboard into a dragon sleeper then going to a camel clutch before Benoit powers out and hits him with an electric chair drop. Liger reverses a tombstone piledriver into a pancake slam, Chris Benoit hits a superplex but misses his diving headbutt, and Liger hits a really nice rolling heel kick to Benoit in the corner, followed by a sit-out powerbomb for a two-count, a brainbuster for a two-count, before Benoit fires back with a vicious-looking German suplex for a two-count of his own, and a huge powerbomb of his own, hits a flying headbutt, but... Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart run out, interrupting the finish, causing the distraction on Benoit who really had Liger pinned, went to pin him and then decided, no, 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 I will get distracted by this and walk back. Bit of an awkward finish. Uh, Liger then jumps up and goes to hit a Hurricane Rana in a roll-up, into a roll-up, sorry that would have been the finish, but he doesn't get high enough, and in the end he just sort of ends up around Benoit's torso, and Benoit has to flip anyway, because it's the finish and get pinned for the 1-2-3 A really good match with a really poor ending which is a shame, because it was really really good action there we then go backstage to gene oakland who's interviewing eddie guerrero uh, this will be a theme of the night going from match to upcoming wcw wrestler in the backstage interviews with gene it's a really bland babyface promo here he has zero latino heat he's just very very generic i know Eddie he gets a lot better in the character stakes but it's still pretty cringeworthy early doors and then we go to our next match which is koji Kanemoto up against alex wright they kick off with some nice chain wrestling before Koji hits uh, some leg-based offense on Alex Wright, the German. Alex Wright fires back with a nice glory, an arm drag, a couple of headsets of takedowns and a drop kick before hitting a very flimsy crossbody over the ropes, which isn't a disqualification, so keep that in mind for the rest of the night. He hits a baseball slide and a running plancher before sending him back in the ring and taking him to Chinlock City. Kenimoto comes back with some really nice kicks and a nice looking plunger. Uh, they go to some outside brawling. Before Konimoto hits a nice dragon suplex, a moonsault, but doesn't want the pin, allowing Alex Wright to come back and hit his German suplex for a two count, a leg Lariat, and then he comes comes at him with some pretty weak offense and elbows and shoulders, but not, he doesn't put enough on it for my liking, so not the strongest when he goes to the strikes. He hits a nice over-the-rope splash for a two count before hitting a pretty poor missile drop kick. Um, And then he's met with a drop kick of his own by Konimoto. Uh, They both sell at this point and have a bit of a rest. Alex Wright gets back on the offence and hits a superplex for a two count. Konimoto hits Snake Eyes in the corner and then the jackknife cover for the 1-2-3, putting New Japan up 2-0 in the tournament. An okay match. There were some botches throughout, but it was good wrestling and good action. Um, Not too bad at all, really. Gene is then interviewing Sonny Ono backstage where he says that he will buy WCW and the state of Iowa Okay, no problem at all. If you were going to buy an American state, I probably wouldn't start with Iowa, but that's just me. He says that New Japan will win 5-0, and which is interesting because it's a best-of-seven tournament. And um, he has been involved in every match so far. I know it's only the two, so it's going to be interesting to see if he comes out with every New Japan guy. Um, and we go to our next match, which is Masahiro Chono up against Lex Luger. And sure enough, Sonny Ono is out again. Lex gets on the offence early, which gets a good sort of face reaction from the crowd He hits a nice press slam before running into a huge boot from Chono And they both go out They're playing a bit of a game of cat and mouse here early on Neither of them really want to take the action to the other And it makes for a bit of a slow start When we do get some moves, Chono comes at us with a suplex And then a sleeper and an STF Hits an inverted atomic drop and then goes to the apron to go up to the top rope But changes his mind, so that was a bit weird Bobby Heenan, um, at one point, calls a mafia kick, and it leads into a really interesting back and forth between him and Dusty. I can't do it any justice, so I'll attempt to play it here for you now. Yeah, well, if that particular
2: job is okay. Uh, Masochino? Well, what's his the shot? Oh. The slice of the... There's the mafia kick. There it is. And where do you get on him? The German don't like the mafia kick. I do my best great job. He kicked Do would about him? Hell what you talk about.
0: Back for WCW, bringing the World Cup of Wrestling score to be 2-1 New Japan over WCW now at this point Before we go backstage to Gene Oakland with Sting He says that he's friends with Lex Luger He's working things out with the macho man Randy Savage And he's got to do what he's got to do So a bit of a bland generic promo here by Sting Uh, But this was his babyface character at the time He really couldn't stray too far from that Next up we go to Johnny B Bad up against Saito Um, We get a little bit of a... Promo exchange between the former Diamond Doll Kimberly and Sunny Ono, where she basically tells him if wrestling is for men, why are you here? And that gets a big pop out of the crowd. Bad and Saito open up with a brutal chop fest to get started. It really stung my chest just watching it. Saito fires back with a clothesline and a Russian leg sweep before Johnny B Bad hits a knee lift and a top rope axe handle and the utterly stupid top rope sunset flip for a two count. Bad, hits a suplex, Saito kicks out before a one count can be registered, then Sonny Ono gets on the apron, and Saito tosses Johnny B. Bad over the top rope and is disqualified. What the actual fuck. Uh, We've had two throws over the top rope already in the pay-per-view that have led to nothing and now in this match we've decided randomly we're going to use it for a disqualification finish. WCW, sort this out. It is utter nonsense. Um, A shit match, a shit finish and we go 3-1 New Japan. I've got nothing more to say about this so let's move on jeans with Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger backstage and Lex Luger cuts a surprisingly good promo on the importance of the WCW title and the credibility of all the top contenders going after it. Um, Pretty impressed with Lex there if I'm being honest. We then go to our next match which is Shinjihiri Otani up against Eddie Guerrero and we get a big Eddie chant to start off so it's cool listening to how over Eddie was getting even early doors in WCW. Dusty's talking complete nonsense on commentary though so my ears are hearing some good in one side and some not so good in the other Otani starts us off with some eye It's a really sort of long eye rake, where he drags him across the ring with his fingers in his eyes before Guerrero fires back with an Enziguri and a cool foot on the face eye rake is a little bit of payback there You know the old Eddie Guerrero in Smackdown move where he'd put his foot on your forehead and then spin um, we get some exchange of submission holds which is pretty good and we get a cool um, Otani monkey flip as well. And Guerrero comes out with a really nice looking Arakamrana, a drop kick, a slam, his um sent on over the ropes that he's been doing a lot early in his WCW um, career before putting on a Boston Crab, and then a really huge fold-up power bomb for a two-count. We get a brain buster for a two-count. But Otani fires back, springboarding off the ropes with a missile drop kick and a huge springboard axe handle from the uh, ring to the floor. Bobby Heenan says, Dusty, if you were Eddie Guerrero, what would you be thinking? And Dusty fires back immediately with, I'd be thinking I've lost a lot of weight, brother, which was pretty cool. Um, Dusty Rhodes here, though. He goes on this little bit of a weird tangent, a weird rant, and it just reminds me of Cedric the Entertainer, and the entertainer in the barbershop movies. January 1st. The start of the year, the Olympic City, the year of the Olympics, first extravaganza will be WCW. Live. Yeah, now he's got this guy out a ton of Tony. and now really, I mean, just out of the field. You know, and Guerrero
2: now goes about, uh, the people at home that have been watching and hear me say about putting somebody away now goes to the task of putting him away. Because when he tried to go on his head, it rings his belly. It his belly? It failed in his head. It failed. I can't got no don't. No, this ain't no hateration. or no holleration in this dance real Okay. What I'm saying is, is that black people need to stop lying. There's mm-hmm. 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 three mm-hmm. things that black people need to tell the truth about. What? One, one Rodney King should have yeah. got an ass beat for driving drunk and being thrown in a Hyundai. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, yeah. good, good. Two, on. O.J. did it. Oh, OJ, O.J. did, did oh, it. Oh, And three, it. Rosa Parks oh, ain't do nothing but sit her black ass down. That's, oh, you that's, you you that's right, I said it. I said Hey, I'm going to back you up on that, because
0: see, look. Imagining Dusty Rhodes as Cedric the Entertainer in Barbershop really helped me get through some of the struggles of his voice for the rest of this uh, night. Atani fires back with a really big German suplex for a two count. Before springboarding a third time for a spin kick and maybe he's just overdone it there with three. Guerrero comes back with a top rope brana for a big pop and a two count. We get another Eddie Champ, which is pretty cool. A sit-out raises edge by Eddie for a two count, which was just amazing. And then he springboard and spins into a crossbody on the floor, which is pretty cool. Uh, Just work rate all around here was exceptional. Atani hits a nice vertical suplex before springboarding uh, to a drop kick to the back of the head, which was a nasty, nasty looking move. It looked like he caught Guerrero square in the back of the head. Um, Guerrero comes back with a Rana, and they have several pin reversals before Atani gets the upper hand, holding Guerrero down for the 1-2-3, and we get a weird mishmash of different replays from the match. Um, Some really good offense here. Maybe overdid it on the springboards, and that finish looks sickening. But really bloody awesome. Both guys came out of this looking strong. New Japan, however, go up 3-2 to two and are still leading the World Cup of Wrestling tournament that we've got going. And then we go backstage with Mean Gene and the Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, we can't hear a lot of the Macho Man's promo. Um, the only real thing I hear is his, old, is his toy story reference where he just says three or four times, to infinity and beyond. Oh, yeah. But this is probably the worst Macho Man Randy Savage promo I can remember hearing. There was nothing good at all in this one. We then go to Macho Man up against Tenzan. Uh, This one's a little bit of a slugfest early. Uh, Not much going on. Tenzan's no-selling a lot of the Macho Man's offense. Uh, Chops, elbows, a Macho Man eye rake before he hits him with a spinning heel kick and they brawl to the outside. Uh, hits a modified Samoan drop and we get a Pedro Morales sighting so throw back to the episode with Richie not too long ago Where I said that WCW snapped him up before his Hall of Fame speech. Here he is um, We get a flying headbutt by Tenzone for a two count misses a moonsault macho man clotheslines in the back of the head uh, And tries to drop him goes uh, go tries to go for a suplex. Sorry, but gets dropped on the ropes before hitting his Macho Man elbow from the top for a three count in a very poor match. Um, If this was 2017 and it was John Cena instead of Macho Man, there'd be the whole Cena wins lull thing going on after this. That's the kind of get beat up and hit your offensive finish that we saw here. Gene's then backstage with Ric Flair, um, who says that he's going to win. He's going to style and profile and hits us with some woos. Typical Ric Flair fare here, but it was still pretty good. Our next match is Sting up against Kensuke Sasaki and this is now the tiebreaker because we are three all in the World Cup of Wrestling. So the winner of this match will take home the trophy for their team. Uh, Sonny Ono's out again, meaning all seven matches he has been a manager. And we get some generic oriental music for Kenzo Sasaki. Sorry, Kensuke Sasaki. Um, And he jumps Sting early with some punches and a slam. Um, The commentary team are still bickering at this point. Tony Schiavone says to Bobby Heenan, why don't you just listen to him? And Heenan fires back nicely with, because I don't understand him. Sting hits his stinger splash pretty early in the match, but uh, Kenzuki comes back with a bulldog, a couple of clotheslines, and then gets caught by Sting with a dropkick. Um, Sting then clotheslines Suzuki over the top rope, but strangely there's no disqualification. Bit of xenophobia in the refereeing there, maybe. And we then come back with Suzuki with a nice-looking... Sazaki sorry, I can't, can't get his name right no matter what I say. Sazaki comes back with a nice brain buster before locking in an arm lock Which is a bit of a strange place to do it here in the match But he does hit him with a lovely looking judo type arm drag so made up for it there uh, He then puts sting in his own move the scorpion Deathlock, um, Before coming back out hitting him with a dragon leg whip uh, Sting fires back with a clothesline a bulldog and scorpion Deathlock of his own and that's it all over so um, Bit of a muted uh, finishing sequence there, but Sting picks up the victory. WCW goes ahead for the first time, 4-3, to three, and they win the World Cup of Wrestling, the prestigious trophy. Uh, Gene comes to the ring with a lot of the WCW competitors from the tournament. Lex is in there at first, um, and Gene and Sting both try to get USA chance going, but most of them, the crowd are not really having that. They also both try to sell the prestige of this World Cup and how much it means, but they've made it up themselves this year, so it's really hard to get on board with that as well. So then we transition out of there and we go to a bit of a video package for the world title situation and for the triangle match coming up, which is Lex Luger up against Ric Flair, up against Sting, with the winner getting a shot at the Macho Man's World Heavyweight title following the two key takeouts i got from this video package were the wcw guys still saying that macho man's not really the champion which is, i just don't like i know you guys have already heard that so i won't ramble on about it and they said the rules of this triangle match will involve tagging in and out so that's an interesting tidbit coming into the match competitors all come down for the match and we get sting and rick flair to start and rick flair is over like crazy it's amazing in the mid 90s how over he was in all these towns i i knew wcw uh was flair's Flair's company for a long time, but I did not know in the mid-90s, despite not being booked that strong, how over he is everywhere he goes. For that matter, Sting's pretty over here as well. Um, He's always been sold as like the franchise of WCW, and he's a pretty close number two behind Flair on all the shows I've been watching. Dusty uh, pointing out how over everyone is can't help but throw himself into the mix where he says, These three, along with myself, brought this sport to where it is today. This could be a fatal four way. Sting goes for the Scorpion deathlock early, but Rick Flair bails to the outside. There's a good back and forth with both of them trading the offense. Uh, Sting hits a nice Beal, a drop kick, and a press slam. Uh, going up for a 10 punch and then hitting his ugly sort of hair bulldog off the ropes. They go back outside and brawl, and when they come back in, Sting goes for the same sequence, hitting a beal, but does miss a drop kick Um, dusty says in reply to um bobby heenan talking about one of the competitors playing possum how are you going to play possum i'm a possum i'm a possum is that how you play possum flair does take over control here and starts to work over sting hitting a nice knee drop for a two count he gets five or six different two counts just keeps attempting pins to hold sting down It's a nice vertical suplex, forcing fires back with a superplex. Lex is just chilling on the apron this whole time, making no effort to get involved. And the storyline is here that he's outsmarting them by just resting while they fight. Uh, But the commentators do talk about the fact that he does need to get in if he's going to win the match. Uh, he finally does come in to break up a count, but Sting catches him, and they have a bit of a stare down. Um, Lex tags Sting, and Ric Flair begs off. So Sting's really uh, sorry. Lex here is really being uh, treated like a big deal. He stalks and attacks while the commentators uh, lose ninety percent of their sound for a while. And Dusty comes back on first. Crisis is going to be ugly if it stays that way for long. Um, Lex carries on with a nice press slam and thank god Tony Schiavone's mic comes back on pretty quickly afterwards too. He hits a 10 punch as and finally gets back on the commentary as well. Flair comes out the corner with his patented Flair flop. Um, Lex hits a nice elbow drop for a two count, but Flair comes back with an eye rake and then a chop block. He goes all over the leg of Lex Luger, even t- taking a steel chair to it as Sting is with the referee. Um, he hits a low blow as well while the referee is distracted puts on the figure 4, which Lex sells for a while before powering up and reversing the hold. Lex gets up and hits a lovely vertical suplex for a 2 count, and Ric Flair decides to tag out before he loses the match. Lex and Sting shake hands, and then Lex is all over Sting with the strikes. Sting fires back with a 10 punch before hitting a couple of clotheslines, and there's a couple of clunky back and forth exchanges trading the offense here, and it's slowed down quite a bit with Flair on the outside. Right as Dusty tells us this match is really picking up now, so it's a little bit weird. Sting hits a top uh, rope crossbody for a two count, a nice body slam before Lex gets his knees up on a splash and the crowd have died a death with Flair out of this. Sting hits a big boot but it's not very smooth and Lex hits a low blow right in front of the referee who just has to admonish him because he can't EQ him or anything here. Inverted atomic drop and then Sting hits a small package. I would make a joke about the low blow a moment ago, but I'm going to leave that one alone for a two count. Sunset flip for a two count, a suplex and a bulldog before hitting Lex with a stinger splash. Lex comes back and hits a rack, but in picking Sting up, the referee gets knocked down. Flair gets in and chop blocks the leg of Lex out from under him while he's holding up Sting. Tosses both out of the ring and wakes the ref up, who immediately gets up and at the speed of light counts them both out. So. Ric Flair's a the winner by double count out to his two competitors. Interesting storyline development as they are both counted out though, Sting gets up around about 8 or 9 and as he goes to get in the ring, Lex just grabs his leg and holds him out with him. So, bit of a shit finish but the crowd liked it. They actually popped for this announcement so that was cool. Jimmy Hart comes out strangely and goes to start chatting to Ric Flair and just sort of stays out with him. Sting's pissed off with Lex Luger as he gets up and walks to the back. But now it's time for the macho man to come out and defend his title up against Ric Flair. To buy Ric Flair some time here, since he has just had a um, triple threat match where he did most of the work, we get Michael Buffer out to do the ring entrances, ring announcements, or entrances. You've got to pick one or the other. He does a pretty good job, actually, really for Ric Flair. Sells in big time. When the match does get underway, Macho oh Man hits a nice backslide for a two count, um, and they throw some back and forth punches and trade strikes with each other. And very early on, Mr. Wonderful Paul Landorf comes and stands in the aisle to have a bit of a watch. Before head of security, Doug Dillinger, chases him back to the back. Ric Flair hits an inverted atomic drop on the Macho Man before having an Irish whip reverse and doing his patented flare flip out of the ring. And Macho Man comes flying um, off the apron, but Flair avoids and he goes into the rail and then is thrown into the post as well. Um, they have a bit of a brawl on the outside and it gives me a good look at the crowd and some really interesting 90s fashion going on here again. Some absolute goof has got a Hulk Hogan yellow and red tank top on with what looks like Apollo Creed shorts from the Rocky movies. And he's going nuts at ringside here, so no problem there. Jimmy Hart sneaks over and kicks the Macho Man while the referee is not looking. And then Ric Flair works over his injured arm. Uh, Tony Schiavone says Ric Flair has snapped when he's lost the title. Um, Dusty says... Hulk Hogan did too. Everybody here is snapped. That's two guys. It's not everybody, but okay, dust. Uh, Macho Man nails Ric Flair with Jimmy Hart's megaphone and Flair juices like crazy, so a lot of blood here. Macho Man hits a top rope elbow, but Brian Pillman and Chris Benoit come out and that distracts Macho from going for the cover. Macho throws Pillman into Chris Benoit and then Arnold Anderson comes out, nails Macho Man with what looks like a foreign object, object, and Ric Flair gets the pin for the one, two, and the three. Whatever it was, it just looked like a rolled up bunch of tape, but they sold it like it was brass knucks, so who knows. Flair's bleeding scarily bad here as he gets the win, so there's not a huge celebration. And they tell us that he's too injured to have his post-match promo with Mean Gene. And we get a little bit of a funny interaction between the Coventry team to end the pay-per-view. Bobby Heenan dropping his notes and then losing his headset and knocking his chair over as the other two laugh at him. It's a bit of a light-hearted way to end it after seeing Flair lose half the blood in his body. And a new heavyweight champion is going to make the storylines coming into 1996 interesting again. That signs us out for WCW Starrcade, the last pay-per-view of ninety five. We run the credits and it's time to head over and see what WWF Sat has in store. theme video um and it talks about christmas in the heart house the tension between red dave and diana and then we get the commentary team of jerry the king Oliver, and vince mcmahon giving a little bit of a rundown of, of the show but i'm quite heavily distracted by a sign behind them that says kimmy will you go steady with me i love you ivan i really need to know if ivan and kimmy got together and if they're still together so long short if anyone knows ivan and kimmy from in your house five let me know if it if it worked out we see the hog pen as well while they're talking, so we know that's going to be coming up between Triple H and Henry Godwin later on. And we open up with a match I was a little bit excited for here, Marty Genetti and Razor Ramon up against the 1-2-3 Kid and Psycho Sid, Ted DiBiase's newest tag team title contenders we're led to believe. Razor and Marty come out with snazzy matching leather jackets, which is an interesting little bit there to try and get over the team. And they have to walk past Gold Dust who again is sat up near the entrance in his little uh, couch with his little... Butler with the red hat on. Um, Razor actually acknowledges him this time, just gives him a bit of a dirty look and keeps going. And Marty Gennetti gets stuck over the top of Razor's pyro in the ring during their entrance, which was pretty funny. He's got the the gold pyro that comes up from the ring and down from the rafters, and Marty was just aimlessly wandering around as Razor was doing the cue to set it off, so that was pretty funny there. The 1-2-3 kid attacks Marty Jannetty early on um, to get the match underway. Jannetty does fire back with a nice Enziguri, which gets an early two count. uh, And they have a quick exchange of holds, and Marty Jannetty gets uh, a nice clothesline on the kid. And the kid is doing everything he can to avoid Razor Ramon being tagged in. Every time it looks like Marty's going to tag, he either runs or tries to get a hold of Marty and scrambles to escape. Razor Ramon gets a shot in on the kid early though with a really nasty slap and then blind tag and we get um, Sid coming in to save the 1-2-3 kid and hitting a big clothesline to some booze um obviously the, the bit of heat going on here kid comes back in and hits a big spinning heel kick and the heels double team up on razor sid comes in and we get Sid chance now so the crowd can't decide where they want to be and him and razor go to a double clothesline line spot before they both tag marty jennetti hits a nice power slam on the kid for a two count hits diamond dust off the ropes for a two count uh, kid just gets a foot over the rope there todd Petengale is with gold dust and in a, I never like these promos mid-match from someone else, but he very sensually says, uh, gives us a description of Razor Ramon describing his body in some pretty luscious detail there. Um, if Goldust or Dustin Reynolds is ever out of work, he could definitely work on a sex line here because he's got the voice for it. Um, it takes way too long and that's a problem because there's a lot of action going on in the match. We miss several tags in and out on the half screen or we, we see them but we don't hear anything about them. When we come back in, Marty Jannetty's caught off the top rope by Sid in a power slam for a two count. And I see another sign that says, Pam, I love you. So love is definitely in the air on this show. Um, interesting there. Christmas time. I wonder if that uh, Mariah Carey Christmas song I hate has come out by by now yet. Because if not, oh, if so, they'll all be listening to that. These soppy fools. Uh, the kid comes in and hits a sloppy looking slam. And then a top rope splash for a two count. Sid comes back in and hits a nice big boot Four kid goes for his a drop kick and then sid comes in for a clothesline on marty which he sells with a big flip sid puts on a chin lock as vince mcmahon tells us marty genetti is playing with fire there and sure enough he gets dropped um, we get a hot tag to razor who comes back in nails both of the heels hits the sos slam on the kid um, sid reverses the razor's edge though but misses a leg drop ramon hits at second row at bulldog and that's it one two three what a strange finish out of nowhere um, didn't see that coming at all Gets a hold of the kid and goes to hit his razor's edge, but Sid makes a save and their heels get out of dodge. So, very abrupt ending to a match that was heating up quite nicely at that point. We see a theme of the night backstage now where Sonny and Ray Rougeau are going to interview the winners and losers on the superstar lines. Um, I'd still love to hear from anyone that ever got on one of those superstar lines. So, if you're listening and you ever did call in, let me know what that was all about. We go back to the ring and the ring announcer announces Buddy Landell, but nothing happens and the King, sort of calling him incompetent, gets in the ring and he introduces Jeff Jarrett. A bit of a return here from Jeff Jarrett, who had been on a hiatus. He and the roadie had actually both quit earlier in the year. Um, There's a few different stories floating around as to why they did this. One of the prominent ones is that they were set to feud with each other and neither neither of them really wanted to do it. Another theory I've heard is that the roadie knew drug testing was about to be implemented and that he would fail so he was quite happy to go. I've also heard that he left because Jarrett wanted to leave and he was going with him out of loyalty. So maybe it's a mix of some of those reasons but here we have Jeff Jarrett coming back to the WWF. the King hypes him up big time and gives him a gold CD to celebrate 500,000 copies of his A Night Great album sold. It's a really awful, cringeworthy mid-nineties segment here. Jeff Jarrett declares himself to be entered into the Royal Rumble. Uh, if you listen to the last episode, the Roar and Nitro one I did, you know where that heads. And Jeff Jarrett goes to take a seat at the commentary table with the King and Vince. We then go to our next match, and this was really a production fault here because. The ring announcer had already announced Buddy Landell. We didn't get him. Jeff Jarrett came out. And then Dean Douglas comes out, supposedly, for a matchup against Ahmed Johnson. Dean Douglas, however, comes out with his board of education, his little um, little paddle. And, yes, it's as lame as it sounds. Talking on a turn. That's a paddling.
1: Looking out the window. That's a paddling. Staring at my sandals. That's a paddling. Paddling the school canoe,
0: ooh, you better believe that's a pattern He announces the fact that his back is only 65% and while he'd happily wrestle, the doctor says no So he introduces his substitute uh, by now you'll know who that is Nature Boy Buddy Landell um, Ahmed Johnson comes out Buddy Landell opens it up with some chops and punches which Ahmed completely no-sells It's a spine buster and then the Pearl River plunge for the one two three in an absolute squash, he then gets a hold of the paddle while Dean Douglas is despondent with his head in his hands, and I'm sure you can assume, you can guess what Ahmed does next with the paddle.
1: To things
0: Down by asking Ahmed Johnson out for another interview, and these have all gone so well so far. So Ahmed, of course, politely agrees. He's out there talking nonsense. You can never really understand what Ahmed says. Um, Lawler is basically sending all the questions over to Jeff Jarrett instead of Ahmed, which pisses him off because when he does get going, he rants like crazy. Jeff Jarrett, however, picks up his gold frame and smashes it over the back of Ahmed Johnson's head, setting up a bit of a feud here. Um, takes a couple of goes. He really leathers him with it. Then he, uh, King holds up a chair for Jarrett to run him into it. He hits a sick, unprotected chair shot to Ahmed here as well. Um, and throws him into the ring post before Ahmed just sort of out of nowhere stops selling and chases Jeff Jarrett out, catching him a couple of times along the way, and they have some awkward skirmishes before both going through the curtain. In a really strange, it could have been quite a hot angle if they just left Ahmed laying, but the ending to that, it, it cheaper it a little bit for my liking. Todd's backstage uh, with Razor Ramon, who's sat at the Superstar line, and it gives him a little bit of an interview about the match and the storyline he's just been in, before going, oh yeah, this is for you, and handing him a gold letter. We see Razor open up the letter and get visibly pissed off at the contents of it, but we don't find out what's in it. Lawler does tell us, however, that the letter came from gold dust. We then go to our next contest, which is the Hogpen match. Henry Godwin up against Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, with the special referee of Hillbilly Jim. Um, So much for this being the click punishment, I know I said it in the interview with Carl at the start of the show But the popular WWF narrative is Triple H was the one punished for his part in the curtain call And while they don't explicitly say this match was part of it, whenever they show videos and talk about this The Hogpen match is always one of them things spliced in This clearly happened well before the click incident, so it's interesting to go back and look at it from this point of view before the match even gets underway, Tony Chimmel, who's not yet a ring announcer, gets slopped at ringside. And Vince is sort of half chuckling, half sympathetic about it on commentary. I um, think that might have been a little bit of a rib. If you've been listening to the Bruce Pritchard show, which I have lately, um, they'll tell you everything is not a rib. Uh, cheap plug there for no particular reason, but I have been enjoying the show. Henry Godwin gets the offense early with a nice looking backdrop on Triple H before tying him in the ropes and disgustingly putting a handful of slop in his mouth. That was pretty gross. Uh, Triple H gets out of the rope and goes on offense, hitting a nice neck breaker and a high knee uh, before Triple H gets run into the ring steps by Hog and they brawl up to the, the pig pen area. Triple H climbs onto the pig pen and hits an elbow drop off it. Uh, we go back into the ring and then Hog hits a nice wheelbarrow face drop on Triple H before brawling back up to the Hog pen and hitting a slop drop on the concrete. Uh, Triple H backdrops Hogg in though when he goes to put him into the pen and that makes Triple H the winner. However, Hog press slams Triple H into the um, pen afterwards. So they're both in there and both pretty dirty. Um, Another disgusting point about this as well is Triple H is falling over in this slop and he's got a big cut down his back And that can't be good having all this mud and pig feces going into a cut on your back It gets sick pretty easily with that. This was a pretty shit match. The concept was shit The execution was shit. The storyline was shit and the characters involved at the time were shit Um, It gets my hammerlock rating for the day and it gets a pretty lowly 4 out of 10. The action was actually Not that bad. Had it just been an in-ring match, it could have been passable as average. But the stipulation and everything surrounding it made it pretty shit. So 4 out of 10 on the Hammerlock scale. Triple H does do the comedy selling too after they've left of keep getting up and slipping over. And while he's doing it, someone in the crowd obviously felt the same way I did about this match and sconed him right in the head with a cup of coke. So that pissed Triple H off and that pretty much ended the segment. So that was the best part of the thing for me. We get an ad for the upcoming 1996 Royal Rumble, which will be the next pay-per-view we review here, chronologically speaking, before heading into our next contest, which is Diesel up against Owen Hart. As the network's freezing here, it took me about 18 goes to watch this match. I take the note that I don't remember anything of this match, and I hope that's not a bad sign. Um... Diesel's song as well reminds me of the entrance from Roseanne's show in the 90s, um, if you haven't heard it, go and listen to the two side by side, I won't splice them in uh, at this point, but they're pretty well identical, um, so that's how I remember it anyway. Diesel cuts off Owen in the in the corner early on, uh, before hitting his corner offence, his elbows, his knees, and a nice beal, and a really big jumping sidewalk slam owen hart does get a little bit of offense here going up for a, a 10 punch but diesel pushes him and owen seems to over rotate and land on the back of his head a little bit before getting close lined to the outside by big daddy cool when they get back in the ring owen gets some offense with a spinning heel kick and a missile drop kick and an enziguri which is a move that's keeping Shawn michaels out at the moment but when he goes for the pin he is fired out with a big kick out by, uh, by Diesel, sorry Owen oh, attempts a at figure four lock, leg lock twice um, When I say twice I don't mean on two separate occasions I mean he spins around with the leg and realizes Diesel's missed his cue So just gets out and spins around with the leg again Allowing Diesel to kick him into the ring post uh, Diesel hits snake eyes in a big boot As a few dozen girls in the crowd squeal It's not a huge crowd But it's clearly only a very small fraction of it making noise here He then hits a jackknife powerbomb, and in a move I hate, sticks his foot on his chest, and then decides to take it off at two anyway. Uh, The referee is telling him off as he's setting Owen up for another jackknife. He pushes the referee, bringing the bell and a disqualification, before hitting another jackknife, leaving Owen laying and walking out gesturing for the title. This is a really bad way to use Owen Hart. I was pretty pissed off about this, and it's no wonder I remember nothing of it. He was made to look like a complete jobber for Diesel here. We then get another weird little production fumble here, as they're talking about Ted DiBiase being in the ring, but the camera is on Savio Vega and Santa in the aisle. Um, It's pretty quickly after the match with no backstage segments while they're doing the replays, it's obvious Ted DiBiase ran to the ring with Savio Vega hot in his heels, and that doesn't make any sense from a storyline perspective. Um, Because he didn't chase him, he didn't acknowledge that Ted was in the ring. Um, Savio's ringside as well, um, with Santa handing out presents. um, And the long and short of this is, Ted DiBiase calls Savio Vega into the ring and Santa Claus turns heel on him. So this is something I'd love to see with a, um, a shopping mall Santa, actually. Just um, take the picture with a kid and then when a parent is talking to the kid about how great it was, just turn heel on the parent and nail them. That would made my day. We're going to hype video for Mabel and The Undertaker. Um, Mabel says he was the first man to ever pin The Undertaker 1-2-3, which is bullshit. And he's going to be the first one to win a casket match against him, which is also bullshit. Um, And we have Doc saying that we should all buy the WrestleMania arcade game from them, and they will throw in a free strategy guide if we do. That's a bargain, folks. If it's still available, take it. This does lead us to our next contest, which is Mabel up against The Undertaker in the casket match. I realised how much I miss Paul Bearer at this point. Um, God, he was good—such a great character and a vital part of the Undertaker's longevity and success as well. Uh, Mabel attacks early, but Undertaker takes over pretty early. Uh, it's a bit of back and forth here before Mabel comes out of all with sidewalk slam, and Undertaker sits up. Mabel hits a clothesline, and the Undertaker sits up, and he misses a second rope splash. Mabel—that is—because the Undertaker sits up while he's in the air. Undertaker hits a couple of clotheslines, Mabel's doing the big fat man's cell of wobbling on his feet before Moe distracts the dead man and allows Mabel to hit a belly-to-belly suplex. He then follows up with a leg drop and a splash, and Mo drops the Undertaker in the casket. So he just basically grabs him out of the ring and goes and tosses him. And then like the fucking idiot that he is, instead of shutting the lid, getting the victory and getting the fuck out of there, walks all the way around the ring to collect Mabel's crown, gets in the ring, puts it on his head, and instructs Mabel to go over and shut the lid. Uh, He goes over to shut it, and he just sort of flicks it and turns around. And Undertaker has stuck his arm up to stop it. Mo and Mabel are in the ring, celebrating, thinking they've won. Taker gets back in the ring and hits a couple of clotheslines. One of them sends Mabel backwards and stands on his crown and folds it up, showing how shit it is. Before Taker hits his big flying clothesline, knocking Mabel down. He gets back up, and we get a pretty poor-looking chokeslam, not as good as the one at King of the Ring. uh, Before a big boot to the back of the head sends Mabel into the casket. Mo attacks the Undertaker before he can shut the lid. Undertaker nails Mo, puts the urn that has been melted down into the chain around his neck, and then choke slams him before putting Mo in the casket with Mabel, takes the urn back off him so that he can give it to Paul Bearer, closes the lid on both and gets the victory, ending his feud with Mabel. A little bit of a dud, but the interesting bit coming out of it was after the match Undertaker gesturing to his waist in that he finally wants to go after the WWF title after many years of not really getting a shot. And there we go backstage with Jim Ross doing backstage interviews here. Uh, he's with Davey Boy Smith, Jim Cornette, and Diana. And Jim Cornette cuts an awesome promo on the Hart family of the title situation. He's in really rare form there. Before we then go over to another backstage area, and Todd Pentengale is interviewing the hitman Bret Hart, who cuts his typical Bret Hart promo about the match coming up and how the Wembley Stadium match has always eaten at him and he wants to avenge it here. This, of course, brings us to our main event of the evening, which is a British Bulldog challenging Brett the Hitman Hart for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. In my mind, I remember this match as a bit of a forgotten classic. And for me, I remember liking it more than the Wembley Stadium match, which was, has always been a controversial opinion when I've shared it with fellow wrestling fans. So it's going to be interesting watching this now, many years removed from the last time I saw it to see if it holds up. When the match gets underway, we get some nice chain wrestling between the two. Brett really worked well with Davey Boy Smith, and we get a little bit of a back and forth similar to what we saw at SummerSlam. Vince McMahon congratulates Stu hart on commentary for celebrating his 80th birthday as Brett works over the arm, including rolling through a slam by the Bulldog into a Hammerlock. It's not rating on the Hammerlock scale, don't worry. Hits a crossbody for a two count, an inverted atomic drop, before running into a big knee lift by the Bulldog. Bulldog puts him in the tree of woe and accidentally hits Earl Hebner in a cool little spot where he runs over and checks on him and assures him it was an accident. I like that. That was a little bit of realism in the match there. Um, we get a snapmare and a chinlock, and we go split screen so we can have a look at the reactions of Diana just like we did at Wembley um it looks like while we're there in the chin lock there's someone lost at ringside i don't know if they're a fan or an agent or what but they're just walking backwards and forwards um i don't know if someone jumped over the barrier and security or a little slow in getting to them but it, it was a little bit distracting and strange and then we get an ecw chance i don't know if the two were related or not but that was a weird little part of the match here bulldog gets a samoan drop and a leg drop And then, while the referee is with the Bulldog, Jim Cornette sneaks up and hits Brett Hart with the point of his racket. Bulldog puts on another chin lock, um, and then gets up and sends Brett and first into the turnbuckle for a two count. Hits a backdrop for a two count, and then puts on another chin lock. But it's not as dull as it sounds, because it does really work, this chin lock. Uh, Brett goes to escape, and the Bulldog just drops him back to the mat in it. Brett gets up and gets back on offense, hitting the Bulldog with a Bulldog for a two count a great jumping pile driver for a two count and then the russian leg sweep second rope elbow and it goes up for a superplex but it's blocked and the bulldog drops bret hart crutch first onto the top rope he then throws him into the steps and into the ring post on the outside and when brett gets up he's bleeding pretty heavily here as well which is a controversial uh part of this match because if you've read bret the hitman's book he'll tell you that the Blading was banned at this time in the WWF and that he, some wrestlers had been fined for it famously Ric Flair was lambasted at WrestleMania 8 for blading even though Brett had bladed as well and claimed it was hard way He did the same here and claimed that he'd been busted open legitimately though He had just bladed to give the match a bit more juice the crowd weren't really that into it here It's a very small crowd one tenth of the size of the one they fought in front of at SummerSlam 92 and even the 8,000 that are in here and not really making a ton of noise. So it, it's easy to see why he thought that might help you match. Vince appears to be legitimately shocked and a bit pissed off on commentary here, instructing the production crew to take wide shots and not get close up on Brett. Um, Bulldog hits a l- nice looking pile driver and the crowd come a little bit alive here. So it was a good move to bleed. Um, we had a delayed vertical suplex by the Bulldog, one of my favourite moves in wrestling for a two count. Um, we get a press slam for a two count. A body slam which i hate seeing the bulldog do and a top rope headbutt to the back for a two count bulldog puts on a bow and arrow submission before brett reverses it and goes for a sharpshooter which is blocked and a big shoulder block sends bret hart back to the outside vince is begging the referee to stop it um bret hart does come back into the ring though and fire up a german suplex for a two count before they hit a double clothesline and both go down uh Brett backdrops the Bulldog over the top rope, then planches him and punches him mounted on the floor. Before the Bulldog hits his running power slam finish on the arena floor. He rips up the mats, but Brett Hart crutches him on the rail and then clotheslines him off to the exposed concrete. Uh, we go back in the ring and he hits a backbreaker for a two count. Before the Bulldog takes a sick bump off a corner flip, running in, he just lands on his head. It was disgusting. Uh, Brett hits a superplex for a two count. And then Brett rolls through um, on a roll-up attempt by the Bulldog for a two-count, which gets the crowd to bite. And then he hits a Lamistral cradle for the 1-2-3 in a bit of a lame ending, if I'm being honest. I know they've used the roll-up finishes and false finishes, but that wasn't the best way to go. I'll be honest, the match isn't as good as I remember. I still think it's a decent main event, but I don't think it's a a classic now, and I don't think it's a patch on their SummerSlam match. But I do think it's well worth watching. If you want to watch it... Nice 25-minute Bret Hart main event with a bit of everything, then this will certainly be one to check out. Uh, Vince McMahon throws us pretty much immediately to The Undertaker situation after the bell. They don't really focus on how well Bret did to survive here. Um, The Bulldog just sort of gets up and no-sells the contest walking off as well, which is a bit of a letdown. He didn't sell really the disappointment or the exhaustion. Uh, We go backstage to The Undertaker, who's with Todd Pettengale. It's classified on the network as an In Your House extra, so it was obviously a Coliseum video thing or something at the time. Todd's with The Undertaker and Paul Bearer. Before they can really cut their promo, um, Diesel walks in, wanting to know why he's a number one contender, lays hands on Paul Bearer, and Taker basically stands in his way, and they face off to end the show. We get highlights of the show as well on the way out, and that'll do it for In Your House. That's us wrapped up. It's now time to go over and see whether the two-hour in your house could compete with WCW's uh, big granddaddy of them all, Starcade and the World Cup of Wrestling. So we're gonna open up with production value tonight and this one's going to WCW on the basis. WWF had a rare off night with a lot of production gaffes and fuck ups. They didn't get their timing right. They jumped in and out and they made obvious errors along the way. So WCW gets the nod there for having a pretty simple but effective formula of match Gene Oakland, match Gene Oakland right the way through. Um, Characters are gonna go to the WWF, um, mostly because WCW, whilst had all their main guys bar the holster on the show, They had a lot of guys WCW crowds just didn't care about and that was due to the World Cup of Wrestling uh, The ongoing storyline that hadn't really been built up on TV and dominated the biggest show of the year I did liken it to Wrestlemania being taken over by the Dusty Rhodes tag classic and that's really how this felt So characters are a bit of a loss there and the WWF got all their main guys on the show Storyline is going to go to the WWF as well because they advanced a lot of their storylines Pretty much every match had storylines either ending or advancing Whereas WCW shelved all their storylines for the night with the exception of the big one For the sake of this World Cup that no one really cared about Crowd heat on the other hand WCW wins because a lot more of their guys were well over Other than really Undertaker and Razor maybe and I would say Brett, to a certain extent, not many guys on this show were that well over for the WWF. Uh, The crowd just weren't really that alive, whereas in WCW, a similar-sized crowd, Flair and Sting got huge pops, Eddie got huge support, the Benoit match got good oohs and ahs. They were just more alive for what Starkade offered in the ring, so they're going to win this one. Which sends us to match quality, and this is going to be the big one for the night. I really expected the Bulldog-Brett Hart match to carry in your house and possibly win the whole thing. But I've got to say Benoit and Liger, Guerrero on the show, Flair, Sting, Luger even put on good performances. Starrcade's going to win this one. Having an extra hour didn't hurt them here, which in '95 it could have done, really. Um, The opening tag match for in your house ended far too abruptly and owen and diesel was a massive disappointment hog pen shit sucked as well so starcade takes the nod against in your house five Um, prestige wise you would have expected that but certainly the way things have been going backwards and forwards here i probably would have expected uh all the japanese guys i didn't know to have cost wcw the win here but that's not the way it's panned out the world wrestling federation go down to end 1995 uh could have been a lot worse though if you read your history and that'll do it for this show so we're going to wrap up here and head out now we are going to be starting 1996 very soon hopefully even this week i'll have the first show coming for 96 um, we've got some more flashbacks coming up with Richie. Hopefully we're going to get Carl on for the next pay-per-view episode um, if we can work out some timings and do the Rumble together. So yeah, there's lots of good stuff to, to look forward to coming up. Uh, me and Duncan from then now, whatever, are going to hopefully get some more WWE vs TNA stuff hooked up in the near future as well we are in some talks about how we're going to make that work logistically so there's lots of fun stuff coming up and we're going to divert some movie episodes in the near future here as well got a couple of different movie episodes coming up too Um, as always you can catch us on twitter please join up with us on facebook as well because we want to get that page up and running a little bit more you can send emails for the show to the raw is nitro pod at hotmail.com and please do leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It's been a little while since we got one of those, so it would be nice to see another one come through. Uh, if you've been enjoying the show, get in touch with me in any of those ways and have a chat with me as well. Always like to chat wrestling with some guys. Look out for me on a few other podcasts coming up when they're ready to drop. I'll, I'll share all the info with you there as well. And that'll do it for today. Thank you all for listening, and speak to you again soon.
2: Known as a shorty, I was always told. If I ain't gonna be part of the greatest I gotta be the greatest myself Come on, come on, yeah, come on Yeah, nigga, what? What a surprise Give yourself a nigga, nigga, close over your eyes All my niggas getting money capitalized God, little small guy, we on the rise Everything a nigga touch, black, demise Full of your crisp, you know we coming with all our supplies Got a big gun and I'ma show you the size You fuck with any of my flip mode, family ties my niggas be coming through, stalking you out, killing off any and everything you're talking about. See you in the club, now we walking you out. Should have thought twice before you went and opened your mouth. Yo, anyway we stay keeping it moving. Fuckin' with the phone, nigga. Hope you know what you're doing. Now blame me, all the same niggas the lame. It's not a game, making Name still quit in your brain. Y'all niggas that enough? Give me some more. Y'all niggas want some round shit? Give me some more. Yo, where the weed at? Give me some more. I know y'all niggas need that. Give me some more. Even though we gettin' money, you can give, give me some money. more. With the cars and the big crib, give me some more. Everybody spread love, give me some more. If you want it, let me hear you say it, give me some more. Blash with a rash, give me my cash, lick in my ass, running with my money, send go out with a blast. Do what you want, the niggas cut in the corner, you fucking up the order, go ahead and be the reporter, yo. She telling news on how you switch to a bitch, little fake money style nigga, chill with a snitch. So now I pass you, straight, I don't got nothing to ask you, make a little room for me, you know my niggas the pass-through. Cartier, see me portier, hooray shit, but with all my niggas from around the way shit. When I come through, y'all niggas know I do my thing, bring more shit to generate money, cha-ching. Arrest you, live a cleave, flow or caress you, bless you, then the nigga come to your rescue. Why you assuming niggas blossom some bloom, I'm coming soon, hit you with a boom, give me some room. Y'all niggas had enough? Give me some more Y'all niggas want some wild shit Give me some more Hey Split, where the weed at Give me some more I know y'all niggas need that Give me some more Even though we getting money you can Give me some more Calls in the big crib Give me some more Everybody's red love. Give me some more. If you wanna let me hear you say it, give me some, me some more. Yeah, live nigga shit. Know what I mean? I represent what we get the money, you reign supreme. Hope your niggas don't be coming to full steam. Can't see me better, turn on your high beam. All my niggas while I'm hanging a the siren. Flip all oh. oh. we go with niggas from my team. Never should you ever try to fuck with my cream. My OD, when my shake it all in your bloodstream. Every time we be ripping, and be blowing it down, blowing you all fucking with the hottest niggas around. for me and my people, run to your town, holding it down, taking the wild nigga, give me my crown. Hey, all my people need to come and surround. A nigga be hitting so much to make you fall on the ground. Sure to make you shot, that's what I all about turning your out, make making on all you niggas fall out Young niggas had enough? Give me some more Young niggas want the wild shit? Give me some more They split for the weed out? Give me some more I know young niggas need that? Give me some more Even though we your money you get? Give me some more With the cars and the big crib? Give me some more Everybody spread love? Give me some more If you wanna let me hear you say Give me some more